For the past 10,000 years, other record labels has created only evergreen content. That's tips and advice that is mostly timeless in the music industry, like how to create a record label website or how to manage your artist's expectations, the importance of manufacturing lead time, blah, blah, blah. But I've realized that we also have this responsibility to keep our community of indie record labels up to date with the changes and the challenges in our industry. So. In what I hope to be a regular series, I've teamed up with Complete Music Update to help keep us up to date with what's happening in our industry. CMU is a music news service and a consulting and training company from the UK. A few months ago, I signed up for their daily emails that send a little news digest of things that are happening in the music industry. And at the end of every week, they also send a, a weekly summary as well. I open these emails every day, if only just to glance over anything that pertains to me and my job. And I thought it'd be fun to take some of these news stories and unpack them a little bit here on the podcast. So I've invited Sam Taylor from CMU to help us understand some of the big stories that we're facing today in the music industry. Today, specifically, we're digging into only three stories. Number one is Dolby Atmos and Apple Music, and Sam delivers some frightening news about their new pay structure. Spoiler alert, whether you have spatial audio mixes or not, it's bad for indies. We're also gonna talk about Spotify. What does the new sub 1000 streams policy mean? And how does it impact our artists and our releases? Another spoiler alert, it's also very bad news for indies. And finally, we address the three-tone music fiasco that a lot of our community members endured this past year. And Sam was the journalist who broke, originally broke this story. And we find out a little, uh, here's what's interesting. We find out how little oversight and accountability there is in the world of digital distribution. And again, it's bad news for indies. <laughs> But first, how about some good news? How about some folks doing things to help indies, like Pittsburgh's newest and only vinyl pressing plant, Hellbender Vinyl, who also happens to be this week's sponsor. Hellbender is here to help bands get their albums onto vinyl. Hellbender Vinyl offers vinyl record pressing to ensure that albums don't just end up as a bunch of ones and zeros somewhere on the internet, which personally, I really like the feeling of getting my records out of the computer and into the real world. It's a great feeling, that's just me. If you're interested in giving your album a physical release, visit hellbendervinyl.com. The link is also in the description of this episode, hellbendervinyl.com, to start a conversation with them today. What I want to do today is I want to kind of grab three of the things I've seen you guys writing about and talking about. And I want to just address them because they're interesting to me and they're interesting to our community. I know some of our folks on Facebook and on Twitter have been talking about these topics. Uh, and so I want to I want to go through, here's the three things I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about Dolby Atmos because something came out just at the start of this year where we thought we were going to get paid a bit more money uh, if we uploaded uh, spatial audio tracks to Apple Music and that turned out to possibly not be true and maybe even the opposite. Uh, some changes at Spotify, because everybody was talking about at the end of last year, these new sub 1000 stream. And then, of course, we want to get a little update from Three Tone, because a lot of people in our community are very keen on what's been happening, the absolute um, dumpster fire that's going on over there. So we want to chat about that. Let's start with Dolby Atmos real quick. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Dolby Atmos is kind of this modern surround sound uh, technology that 
that employs not just the horizontal that we're kind of used to, but the vertical space as well. And then from what I understand, spatial audio, which I believe is just Apple's uh, fancy name for Dolby Atmos, is what they've been sort of emulating through AirPods and and uh, I think in the new uh, VR headsets as well, uh, this kind of you're experiencing, you're supposed to be experiencing surround sound in your ears uh, through just your AirPods or your AirPod Maxes. Um, the idea, from what I understood, and I, I thought it was quite interesting the first time I heard um, Adobe Atmos or a spatial audio song on Apple Music, there was this idea that in order to push this platform more to hopefully sell more AirPods, that Apple would maybe compensate artists and labels uh, at a higher royalty rate if they were to upload these tracks because these mixes are very expensive to have made. If you're mixing in Pro Tools, um, Pro Tools is starting to add the technology, but it's right now it's it's difficult because to mix, you have to have uh, one of these Dolby Atmos rooms. So anyway, we now find out that this may not be the case, that, that there were rumors back in the fall that they were sending letters to, to labels saying that there might be a new royalty tier for people who upload spatial audio. So let us know what's happened with that. Yeah, so, I mean, your introduction to Dolby Atmos and spatial audio there was probably the closest to accurate that I've heard anybody in the music business who doesn't work for Dolby give. But there are still a couple of things that I'll just very briefly tackle. So, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Dolby Atmos is this new modern standard. There is a distinct difference between Dolby Atmos and Apple Spatial, which is Apple Spatial is a sort of further implementation of Dolby Atmos, and it specifically relates, as you kind of said, it specifically relates to, I've, I've got mine in just now, uh, AirPod Pro, you know, great kit. I love them. Yeah. I've got two pairs because I spend so much time on Zoom. I swap them out when they yeah, run out of the battery. Yeah. Apple Spatial means that if you're listening to a Dolby Atmos mix, not only do you get the Atmos immersive effect, but actually as you move your head, right, your head is moving in a stationary soundscape. So if you do, the, you know, if the music is coming from here and you move your head, you're going to hear it as though you're moving your head in a room where the music's coming from here. The other really important thing to understand about Dolby Atmos is that actually it's a great standard. It's a brilliant standard because it is, I've talked to a lot of Atmos engineers, I've talked to Dolby themselves about this, and it's basically a really elegant audio format. And the reason it's elegant is because if you have an amazing home cinema or something like that, or room for listening to music in with an incredible array of speakers all over the place and subwoofers and all of this to give you an immersive thing, Dolby Atmos, properly mixed and mastered, will sound amazing on that, but it will also sound amazing if you play it out of a single speaker. So it will fold down and give you a great sound, Mm. as long as the single speaker, whatever device you're running it through, has Dolby Atmos built into it so that it can decode the Dolby Atmos and know what to do with it. So it means that it's kind of future-proofed. Okay. It means that it gives people a good experience. And as you say, really, Apple 
are pushing it because it's a core part of what Apple is doing, both with AirPods and other sort of personal audio devices, but also we're just seeing the new Apple Vision Pro VR, XR, whatever you want to call it, the goggles that make you feel like you're in a space. If you want to be able to move through a virtual space, you need audio that works in that virtual space so that sounds can come from here and here and move around. So it's a big part of Apple's core product strategy. And yeah, you know, they did. They've been really pushing uh, labels and music creators to deliver content in Atmos so that it's spatial available. Um, And one of the things that I took, it took me a little while to get my head around it. Really, and this is something that, um, there's a guy called Cameron Craig over here, a music producer. He he is one of the people who runs the Music Producers Guild. And I was talking to him about this and I kept on saying, are we calling it Atmos or Spatial or something else? And we both decided that actually the best term for this in general is immersive audio. Mm. Because immersive audio, there are other standards alongside Dolby Atmos that other people are using. Dolby Atmos is one immersive standard and then Apple Spatial Audio is an augmentation of that. So... Apple were offering support to music creators to help drive adoption of Dolby Atmos and Apple Spatial. And as you said, back a few months back, uh, it was something that kind of came out in the middle of all the controversy about Spotify's changing of the way revenue works, which we'll come to later on. This is the 1,000 track thing that you referenced in the introduction. So while that conversation was going on, and a lot of people in the industry were going, this is great, or this is terrible, or what does this even mean? Apple or someone, there was a leak that this 10% bonus for Mm. spatial audio content was going to start being paid. And it just so happened that that came out uh, right <laughs> as everyone was speaking Spotify. Yeah. And some people I've suggested to, you know, well-placed people across the industry have said, it just seems a real coincidence that while the whole industry was piling onto Spotify, giving them a kicking, this leak yeah. came out, which was Apple is going to start pay- paying people a bonus. <laughs> now, the problem is when you actually get down to the granular detail of how this bonus works. Maybe not such a bonus for everybody. And this is to do with a lot of complicated things. So number one, the contract, the licensing agreement that DSPs, those streaming platforms like Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, whoever, fine, are confidential. So if you are a distributor, you will sign a confidential agreement with a DSP that is the, you know, that's got the parameters of your contract, mm-hmm. how, how you're going to be paid, how much money is going to be paid, etc., etc. The, generally speaking, um, I don't know this for a fact because I've not seen the major label ones, right? Very few people have. Only a very limited number of people within major labels know what the major label agreements are. Wow. But with Spotify, 
it's fairly widely accepted and acknowledged that the major labels have a different deal to the deal that an independent distributor might have. With Apple, there is a perception that everybody's agreements are the same. It's a pretty equal playing field because it's about how your content is performing. I'm now getting suggestions that that might not be the case, particularly as this new agreement around the spatial audio uplift or bonus has come in. Now, I don't know because, you know, I've not seen the major label ones. Mm -hmm. However, whether the major labels have a different one or whether they're subject to the same one as everyone else, the key issue with this bonus is that it applies at effectively a whole catalogue level. Mm. And so what I mean by that is a label is probably not going to have their own direct agreement with Apple. Okay. So they won't have signed a contract with Apple. Their distributor will have signed a contract with Apple. And then the whole catalogue level that this is determined on is the distributor's catalogue rather than the label's catalogue. And so what it means is there are two important things. Number one, for a signatory to the license agreement, so someone with an agreement with Apple, to be eligible for this spatial available uplift, they have to hit a trigger threshold. So in one month, they have to have had 50% of their total streams come from what Apple is calling spatial available content. So it doesn't mm. matter whether somebody actually listens to the spatial sure. audio version. Oh, I see. The, 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 the catalog has to have delivered 50% of its total stream. So let's say you are a distributor and you are doing across all your clients, you're doing 100 million streams a month. Let's pick an easy sure. number. 50 million of those streams would need to come from... Dolby Atmos spatial available content. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that 50% of the tracks that you have as a distributor need to be in Atmos, because it may well be that, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to imagine five tracks each getting 10 million streams. That's going to bring you sure. to that 50 million threshold. Yeah, I get that, yeah. But the problem is, when I've been and talked to some distributors. So, again, all distributors vary. There are some tiny little distributors where they have really close relationships with their customers. So they're able to say, hey, guys, you need to give us Dolby Atmos mastered stuff so that we can hit that 50% threshold. Because before we hit that, nobody is getting that bonus. Right. right. Obviously, the major labels are better placed to be delivering their content as Dolby Atmos files for that spatial available thing. And the major labels, because they have end-to-end -end control, they know what tracks are in their catalogue. They know what tracks are delivering significant number of streams. They know what the 50% threshold is going to look like. So they are well-prepped. They've probably already hit that 50% threshold yeah. that triggers the bonus. For independent creators, it's a much bigger problem. Because if I'm making music and I'm using the same distributor that you're using, 
I don't know whether you've delivered your content of Dolby Atmos. Mm -hmm. You don't know whether I've delivered my content of Dolby Atmos. Mm -hmm. We don't know how much other content there is. We don't know what content is delivering what streams. And so it's yet another case. And this is something that really annoys me, that there is very little consultation with music creators directly, mm. okay? When these changes are being made, someone said to me earlier on, if Universal sneezes, everybody catches a cold. And mm -hmm. it's this thing where the major labels are really working quite closely with the streaming platforms to ensure that they are getting the best possible terms. And this Apple thing, which was quite different to the Spotify one, where, you know, with Spotify, this idea that you have to hit a thousand streams and lots of artists are going to, lots of independent creator artists are going to end up making no money from Spotify, likely. That was seen as a real kick in the teeth to independent creators and it had repercussions for Spotify's reputation. You know, I saw a lot of independent music creators saying, well, I'm just going to pull my entire sure. catalogue, Spotify, because this is not fair. With this thing with Apple, it's actually a little bit more, you know, it's kind of a little bit sneaky. Yeah, Because sure. it benefits the major labels, and everybody looks at it and go, oh, Apple is paying a bonus. But the actual consequences for indie music creators are going to be quite different. And then the other thing that is troublesome is I talk to a lot of people all across the independent music creation and business sector. And when I'm talking to distributors and people who have agreements with Apple, it was very much presented as here is the new agreement, sign it or don't sign it. But if you don't sign it, you won't be able to deliver content into Apple anymore. And so it wasn't a negotiation. There wasn't any, can we tweak this, sure, can we change this, sure. can we look at this? It was, sign the agreement or don't sign the yeah, agreement. And right. if you don't sign the agreement, you can't deliver the content. Right. And and so there's two questions I have for you. First of all, talking about distributors and the distributors that would be relevant to our um to some of our people like uh, Symphonic or um, uh, CD Baby, is there any hope that they could somehow get involved and say, yes, 50%? I mean, that, that would be, I think, near impossible for a company as big as CD Baby to, to reach that threshold so that any of us who do upload uh, spatial audio would get a boost. So look, I, I, I wouldn't want to comment specifically on individual distributors okay. because... I know the team at CD Baby and I know the team at Symphonic and they are great companies. You know, mm -hmm. they are great yeah. companies Absolutely. who have independent creators at the core of their business and they fight very hard for indie music creators. But I don't know the scope of their catalogue. I don't know how mm -hmm. much of their catalogue has already been delivered as, as Dolby Atmos. Yeah. But for sure, what I can say is... They have been encouraging people to deliver content in Dolby Atmos. And that's a good thing mm -hmm. because people should be, you know, it's a great format. As I said earlier on, people should be working towards Dolby Atmos. But at the same time, as I said earlier, right now, 
the people who are best positioned to be able to deliver content of Dolby Atmos is the major labels because there are costs. As you said earlier on, if you want to create Dolby Atmos mix and mastering in Pro Tools, there's a complexity to that. And yeah. apart from anything else, where and it, it, here is another actually interesting thing to do with this. Up until now, there have been some really great um, automated mastering services out there, AI mastering yeah. services out there, you know, Lambda, CloudBound, sure. things like that, where you can take your mix and you can master it and spit it out, and it's great. My understanding is, backed by some conversations I've had with people, number one, there are not really any AI platforms out there or automated mastering platforms that are able to do a good Dolby Atmos master. Oh, yeah. Number sure. two, the understanding I have is that Apple is actually working quite hard to ensure that if mixes that have maybe been made using automation come in, they would rather it's a genuine human created, you know, I see what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. Uh, and this is a problem as well, because I know of really quite prominent artists, particularly in electronic music, for example, where you have a music creator who is the songwriter, the instrumentalist, the producer, the mix engineer, and yeah, the mastering engineer. Sure. You know, they are do they're doing everything themselves. If you're someone like that, what are you going to do? Because you can't now necessarily do that final thing to turn it into Dolby Atmos. So you may be going to have to pay someone to do it. And that's a barrier to entry. That's the, you know, that's, yeah. it, it makes it less of a level playing field. I was curious about, because Apple did, one good thing they did was they did introduce uh, a more accessible tool in Logic uh, for creating Dolby Atmos. I haven't used it, but it, it, it intrigued me about potentially exporting a group of stems from Pro Tools and then trying to do a quick mix, a quick Dolby Atmos mix in logic with using potentially using airpod pros or air or or uh, pod maxes to, to do this spatial audio mix i don't even know if that's possible but that might be but now yeah i mean with, with with that sort of thing that's kind of going a little bit beyond my under because that's sure. you know audio engineering stuff and the one thing is and i think this is a really important thing apple is overall a good company. And this current thing, I think, is maybe a slightly poorly implemented thing. <laughs> but the problem is, it's been driven, I feel, by major labels I who see. are able to do this. I see. And it disadvantages independent creators. Well, that's that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, I I think because the other thing I want to comment, uh, I want you to comment on, and then we have to move on, is um, the where the money is coming from because this ten percent boost is nice, um, and a lot of us would think that this ten percent boost is coming from that trillion dollars in cash sitting in the bank, but it actually, from what we're hearing, it might actually be coming from the rest of us who don't have 
spatial mixes. Is that true? It's not that it might be coming from the people who don't have spatial mixes. It is absolutely coming <laughs> from the people who don't have spatial mixes. Apple is not putting more money yeah. into the pot. Apple is not taking any of that trillion dollars in cash that they have sitting. Apple is not compensating yeah. people more. Yeah. They are taking the revenue that is assigned coming through Apple Music, and they're saying, okay, we're going to split the pot in two. These people are going to get more, and we're going to take that more out of the other pot. I think that's so the worst part So what it means is, me. it, it is the worst part, yeah. yeah. What it means is that the major labels are almost certainly getting that bonus right now, and that is being paid for by independent music creators who are doing it themselves. <laughs> now, that's no reflection on artists signing to a major label, right? You know, sure. there are many reasons you might want to sign to a major label, but I think it's deeply unfair mm -hmm. yeah, that for sure. people who are doing it themselves are adding effectively to the revenue of, you know, Warner Music declared their earnings for the last quarter today, 1.7 billion or something like that, and growing fast. And I'm not saying that Warner is taking from other people's pockets. It's just the nature of that major label thing, that their share price and their revenues, that's all increasing at the expense of independent creators. Going back to the very first thing you mentioned about how Apple was potentially going to use this as an uh, as a little PR opportunity to maybe squash squash uh, Spotify. There was a video that came out a couple weeks ago by one of the members of the band Wolfpack. I don't know if you saw it, but it was this clip. Of, um, he was basically giving this little lecture about how Apple Music has an opportunity to completely destroy Spotify to completely revolutionize the music industry by essentially operating Apple Music as a loss leader to sell AirPods, to sell HomePods, to sell laptops. I mean, to service the artists that they use in their advertising campaigns, the, the people who are mixing records and logic in a coffee shop in their commercials, or the people who are sketching on an iPad Pro. These artists that have essentially made their products cool, everybody knows that. And this was a great opportunity, not just Dolby Atmos, but they have a great opportunity. And I mean, listen, Apple Music is falling behind Spotify. It's not its not anywhere, anywhere close to what Spotify numbers are doing. They have a great opportunity. They're definitely enemies. Everybody knows that. A great opportunity to just say, hey, listen, we're going to give the artists double, triple, 10x what Spotify is. And we're just going to bless the artists across the board, knowing that it sells more MacBooks. And uh, to me, I think this was just an absolute asinine decision in the wrong direction. Uh, and I just think they had a great opportunity to do something massive here and to bring some music fans over to Apple Music from Spotify. That's my opinion. I, yeah, I, I, I love Apple products, right? I'm speaking to you right now same, same. on I a agree. MacBook Air, <laughs> and I've got an iPhone, I've got sure. AirPods, I've got an Apple TV, and I've, you know, yeah. and I have been using Apple technology since my second own computer that I paid for. And I feel 
that Apple is a great company. Um, this actually made me really sad yeah. because it was like Apple, I now feel quite angry about Apple. Mm. And I love Apple. Yeah. And so if I'm alienated, there are going to be a whole load of people out there who are feeling the same. You're absolutely right. Apple's core community is creators. They've put that at the heart of their company for so long. And music is core as well. And there's a very, there, there are two very interesting things you said just then. That Apple could run Apple Music at a loss. They don't need to make any money for Apple Music. Apple is not a music company. It's not a streaming company. It's a hardware company. I'm pretty sure Apple Music is running as a loss already, right? Right, yeah. Because oh. Apple will not be... There's revenue going through Apple Music, and a lot of that is going back out to the music industry, and that's a great thing, right? But all of the stuff that requires running a great music streaming service... I imagine if you then bundled that in and said, is Apple's cut of what is coming through in Apple Music revenue? Now, I don't know this for a fact, right? I'm speculating. Mm -hmm. But Spotify have to run their business on the little bit that they get to keep. Apple don't. Yeah. Apple have to run their business on selling hundreds of millions of iPhones and everything else. And so that means that Apple, the way they need to think about Apple Music can be very different. They have a luxury there. Could they just decide to start paying everybody double? I don't think they could. And that's because, as you can see right now, particularly over here in the EU, there is a war going on mm -hmm. between Apple, Spotify, and the European lawmakers, where they are saying, okay, Apple, you have to do this because you're now actually having an unfair competitive advantage that right. is restricting other people. So I think technically Apple could pay, you know, technically Apple could say, we're just going to top up. We're going to use some of that trillion dollars of cash. <laughs> we're going to make sure everyone gets paid really, really well through Apple Music. But as soon as they did that, the regulators in the US would crack down on them. The regulators in the EU and other wow. countries would crack down on them and say, this is anti-competitive because actually that would put Spotify out of business. And whilst there is sort of a noble sentiment of let's get Apple to pay more, let's get them to put in cash to do it, if Spotify went out of business because of that, that would actually have huge harm for music creation overall. Interesting. And ultimately, I think that's also why Apple would not actually be able to take money from that trillion-dollar cash bar to top up for Dolby Atmos because that would probably be on the edge of anti-competitive okay. okay. behavior. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, that that was just a little fantasy of mine, but uh, I, I, that is very interesting. Okay, let's move on from from uh, one devil we know to another devil we know, and let's talk about Spotify because as we started off by talk uh, in this conversation back in the fall around the time uh, of the Spotify Wrapped, there was this information coming out that Spotify was going to not pay for the first thousand streams. Uh, from anybody that was um, you know that was probably the final like you mentioned it was a final blow for a lot of indie artists um, I kind of 
hesitated because their positioning was about this problem of of false streams. And I think we're now reported up to 105,000 songs are uploaded every day to Spotify. You know, from the the distribution side of things, it's been easier to upload music because of the the subscription model of of DistroKid where you could just upload as many songs as you want as opposed to the pay-per-use model of of CD Baby from so many years. So we do have infinite amount of songs. I guess Spotify is claiming that a lot of these tracks are either never listened to or they're bots, they're white noise, they're maybe a white noise album that's divided into 130-second tracks. So they're trying to figure out a way. This is their their argument is they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of all of these garbage streams, these uh, garbage tracks as a way to increase the pool, the pool that we were talking about with Apple, for legitimate artists. Potentially some of our friends in the indie music scene with obscure music who have less than a thousand tracks they're just accidentally they're the collateral damage in this in this rule so where are we at with that because that was supposed to be enacted uh in early 2024 i'm just curious um what's happening with that what is the truth to that is it a good thing in any way There's a lot in what you've just said. So I'm going to go through it (laughs) and unpack it one by one because there is a lot. And also, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of uncertainty around all of this. And a lot of people understand some of it, but not other bits. And, and, you know, it's, it's good for everyone to have a full understanding. So the key thing here is this idea of the 1000 track threshold right that's it that's that's there yeah it's it's in the new spotify agreements that have been signed with distributors the really important thing to understand though because at first i was like you i was like well maybe is it such a terrible thing is it such a terrible thing and then i discovered that it's not just 1000 streams it's 1000 streams from 500 unique users so if you get 1,000 streams from 10 people, you're still not eligible. Wow. Those 1,000 streams need to come from 500 individual users of Spotify. Now, we're going to call this segment this quite new a big threshold. This series is going to be called Bad News with Sam. Are you are you cool with Sad News with Sam? <laughs> you just take I, I, all you of- know, I- <laughs> I like bad news, okay? Not that I like bad news, but when there is bad news, I like going through it and showing why it's not just bad news, it's terrible news, because <laughs> this is the problem with this, yeah. okay? The yeah. news is not just bad, it's terrible, mm. because it's very, very achievable for someone starting out making music, creating tracks, distributing them, getting them into Spotify. It is very achievable to hit a thousand streams from genuine listeners and begin to build a fan base. Mm-hmm. Yep. To drive 500 people to listen to your music is a much higher bar, mm. you know? Yeah. And <laughs> that, again, is something where there's a big disadvantage, a big tilting of the playing field in favor of major label artists. Because a major label artist, 
you know, a single playlist placement on one of those big Spotify playlists. You go on Morning Coffee or something like that, boom, there's 30,000 streams. And those 30,000 streams are from more than the 500 people. Yeah. And, you know, there is speculation, um, again, not confirmed facts, but that the major labels may have a certain amount of guaranteed big Spotify-controlled playlist placement. Okay, so that's another advantage that they have, because if they have a new artist, that artist is instantly hitting that thousand streams. Let me say that again. That artist is instantly hitting those thousand streams and that 500 user threshold from just one playlist placement. Yeah, it's a non-issue. Indie artists have to go out and find that audience. Mm. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is the idea that this somehow combats stream manipulation and false streams, things like that. Because the people best placed to stop stream manipulation and false streams are the streaming platforms themselves, Mm. right? Because they have all the data. They can tell Mm. from data. So why aren't they just doing that? This isn't, I don't think, about combating stream manipulation or false streams. In fact, they have also included something in this whole revisiting of the Spotify agreement that does tackle that, and that's that they are going to start fining independent distributors if a track has stream manipulation against them. So it means that that responsibility is being passed off to the independent distributors that a lot of your community and the wider independent creator community use. Now, I've talked to a lot of those distributors, and a lot of those distributors have said to me, there's a real problem here because Spotify won't tell us the rules. Spotify won't say to us what they are going to count as stream fraud, stream manipulation, fake streaming activity. So they will fine us, they'll say that it's happened, but we won't know what the parameters are. We don't know if there's an appeals process. We don't know how it's going to work. And also the thing is, the distributors do not have control over whether someone decides stupidly to use one of those bot farms to drive more streams for their track. And yeah, there's a whole industry around this. There's a whole industry of bot farms. But then also, if you need to get a thousand streams from 500 individual users, I've seen some of those stream bot farms already beginning to adjust their marketing saying, we can guarantee that you're going to get the thousand streams for, you know, this doesn't solve that problem at all. It's, it's, you know, whoever thought in Spotify, this was a good idea. You know, maybe they did lose their job when Daniel Eck fired all (laughs) those people just before Christmas. But what it comes down to is Spotify has changed the rules It was bad news. It is actually terrible news. And I don't think it really does much to tackle the underlying problem that they're claiming it is about, which is stream manipulation, things like that. The the white noise issue, that is actually addressed because functional audio 
will pay at a much lower rate than music. Okay. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. That's not not a bad bad thing. thing, Unless you're a person who's making functional audio. And there are people who have businesses where they are making functional audio. And, for example, I have uh, really bad tinnitus and... I also have a thing called hyperacusis where certain frequencies make my tinnitus even worse and really make me feel very anxious. Okay. And so I do quite often listen to pink noise and brown noise mm. to help calm my ears, basically. Yeah. And that is of value to me, sure. right? And if I'm paying Spotify a subscription and people are creating that, then there is value there for yeah. me. And the, the, the problem here for me is Spotify now putting a huge emphasis on podcasts and audiobooks and things like that because they're saying Spotify is an audio platform. It's not just a music platform. And, you know, I, 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 I find the functional audio thing much harder because they are still paying for it, but they've changed the rules and they've decided that the rules are changing. So that is an aspect of it as well sam can i yeah i just want to interrupt and i apologize but the thing i really we want to know and i don't know if you have the answer to is if you do meet this threshold of 500 unique listeners and (coughs) a thousand streams do you get paid for that those thousand um would you start getting paid on 1001 stream and beyond or do you instantly get back paid the previous my understanding my understanding And when we do this next time, ask me the question again, because I will go and find out for sure. But my understanding is that those first thousand streams, you get nothing. Yeah. I knew that was coming from you. I could tell the look on your face. You had more (laughs) bad news. (laughs) 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 Well, and see, that is a huge issue, right? Because we're talking about a 10 song album. That means your first 10,000 streams are, are for free for spotify yeah that is that's a big deal that's a big deal and also it is a big deal because i know of artists who they're creating music and it's it's not at an early stage it's not necessarily about the amount of money you're making okay but i know a lot of artists where the first dollar they make from their music. That's a real milestone. Yeah. And by putting this threshold in place, yeah. it makes it much harder. And, you know, you could release, as, as an indie artist, you could release 10 tracks, 20 tracks over time and get, you know, a few thousand streams from each of those. You could be getting 10,000 streams from each of them, but unless they're coming from 500 people you're still getting nothing for them. Do you think that the, so let's look at the middle of the road artists, the, the, just the blue collar artists who do get 10,000 streams per song uh, on average when they release a new album over the course of a couple of weeks. Do you think those people will look at their, um, their payout from their distributor and see a little 10% boost because those streams are supposed to be worth more money? I, I don't think they'll see a boost. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think there's. I don't think there's going to be a boost that they're going to see there. No, and again, I think the 
the thing there is if you're getting 10,000 streams in the first couple of weeks of your release for a new track, are those 10,000 streams coming from 500 people? That would be each of those 500 people streaming it 20 times each. Yeah. Now, if they love you, they're going to do that. You know, if I, if I discover a new track, particularly from artists that I already know, and it hits me, then I'm going to listen to it on heavy rotation. So within the first couple of weeks, I probably am going to stream it 20 times. Sure. But it requires 500 people to do that. That's right. To, yeah. You know, to hit that. So are these rules in effect right now as we speak in the second month of 2024? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that came in in an agreement that uh, I think started from... Uh, November, I believe. Well, and I, you know, we know that independent artists and independent, uh, even independent distributors and aggregators are pretty powerless in this game, as we've been talking about today. Um, but did we see some sort of like update to our terms of, uh, you know, our agreements with our, our aggregators like CD Baby and Symphonic? Did we get an email over the holidays and say, by the way, this is happening? Or do they not need to send us that? I, I would imagine that you probably have had an email or there would have been something on the dashboard reflecting when you the new terms in. and conditions. Yeah. The problem is distributors, aggregators, they aren't just dealing with Spotify and Apple. You know, most decent independent distributors, aggregators, whatever term you want to use, they have relationships with dozens, if not hundreds, of streaming platforms sure. and stores around the world. I think I, I was looking at this recently and one of the one of the big distributors, if you go to the page that says which stores and streaming platforms they work with, there were two hundred and thirty listed. Wow. So if every single time one of those platforms updated their terms and conditions, the distributor sent you an email you might be getting an email about this every day if there was a notification on Good the dashboard point. every time. So generally speaking, what distributors do would be my understanding, and I would have to go and check this to be absolutely sure. But when you sign up to a distributor, there is probably something, when you accept the terms and conditions and start sending music through them, that you accept that they may have to alter their terms and conditions to be in compliance with sure. the onward licensing yeah. partners, you yeah. know, and there's nothing they can do about that. No, I don't. I'm not blaming are, them I'm in any way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to our final topic, and that is three tone music. And just a, a full disclosure for our audience, because I know a lot of people are are interested in this story, <laughs> and we've been following it along it since the very beginning. Uh, and three tone is what one of these distributors, one of these aggregators, helping independent artists and independent record labels get their music up to Spotify and Apple Music. Um, and and so just a full disclosure, I as was approached by them. I was with CD Baby in 2020, and I was approached by one of their um, new employees to test out this platform and to bring some of my new music over to 3Tone, which I did. And then I was enjoying the platform from 2020 to 2022. I think everything was fine. And I was uploading my newest releases. I hadn't brought over my back catalog, but I was uploading some of my newest releases. And I had told them about other record labels. And 
asked them if they would be willing to um, give an ear to the indie record label community to potentially create uh, a distribution platform that was somewhat bespoke or at least friendly to indie labels. And so that's where our relationship with Three Tone kind of started and things were going well until they weren't. Uh, and then people weren't getting paid and their dashboard wasn't working properly. And that's just snowballed into what a lot of us are aware of, of what's happening. And, and uh, you know, so that's, I, I just wanted to kind of put that out in the, the open. But the story really is we have one of these aggregators and something has gone wrong. Nobody seems to get in any information except for you, Sam. And, and we really, really thank you for the work that you've done as a journalist asking the tough questions because not only are artists powerless in, in situations like this, but we're also just not comfortable with conflict. You seem to be more comfortable with it. And uh, we're not we're not really even able to ask the questions. And some of us are kind of scared to ask the questions because how is that going to affect whether this company pitches our next single to Spotify to appear on one of those playlists where we could potentially get paid for. So there's these things where we're just, as artists, we don't really want to get involved. We shouldn't have to get involved. Um, so we're grateful for CMU and, and the BBC did a piece recently. CMU have done, I think, four or three or four pieces now um, and a new one that came out today. So it is just a real gong show over there. Give us a, a little bit of update where we're at today. The big thing I want to talk about, though, Sam, to kind of direct you is instead of just kind of living in the 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 shit that this is, is kind of looking forward as to w what could we have done differently back then. Um, and and you must just be shocked at the the lack of accountability for these platforms. Yeah, I am. Um, I think it's a disgrace that something like Free Tone can happen. And I think it's a massive failing of the music industry that a company like Free Tone can screw over and rip off so many artists for so long. Yeah. And it took me to really dig into things and piece it together. I spent over 60 hours on the phone to people piecing together this story to get it to the point that I was confident that I could publish it. And the fact that this has happened, I'm now looking into another distributor in the US where a similar thing might be going on. And I can't say who that sure. is, obviously, because if, if I'm wrong, that would be a real problem for them. But the thing with Three Tone was, I was working on that investigation for a month because I wanted to be absolutely certain that if I published something, I was right. Because if I'd published and been wrong, that would have harmed Three Tone and it would have harmed all the artists yeah. who were sending music through Three Tone. But honestly, it keeps on happening. This is not the first dodgy distributor that has come along that has ripped off artists. And I'm beginning to ask really serious questions at a very high level in the industry about why the industry allows this to keep on happening. And there are some great distributors out there, okay? You've already mentioned two of them. Symphonic, very good company, very artist-focused, very trustworthy. CD Baby, the same. Great company. Trust them. 
People sometimes have customer support companies with customer support issues with big distributors, but ultimately the company that is there in the background can be trusted. Okay. Mm. There are other great distributors, Emu Bands here in the UK. I know the guys who run that company. They are so reliable. There are great distributors out there, but then there are these crop of real crap ones like Three Tone. Well, they just lie continually. And the thing that you mentioned, I think this is a really important thing. I am prepared to have those. You know, it is quite a conflict thing when you're saying to the guy who's running a company, you're lying to me. Stop lying. (laughs) Tell me the truth. Otherwise, I will publish something that will ruin your business. That requires a certain level of either idiocy or confidence in what you're doing. And I'm prepared to do that. But what I found out was, and this is something you referenced, when artists questioned him, he would really do a performance. You know, he'd say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get you some money now. I'm going to get you a little bit of the money now. But what you need to understand is, you know, just, don't rock the boat because if you do, the consequences could be really bad for the company. And then all the other artists would suffer as well. And then that would be your fault. Mm. And that's nasty. That's psychological manipulation. That is really doing a job on someone to stop them speaking out about something that they know is wrong. And with Three Tone, the reason I have gone so hard on three-tone, is it all comes down to this guy, Dean Roberts, who's lied about everything. A big part of the pitch he was making to artists and to people like you with communities that he could align with was that he'd been really heavily involved in Amy Winehouse's career. He discovered John Newman and been really significant in his career. I was able to confirm that he'd had next to no involvement in Amy Winehouse's career at all, certainly not on the creative side. And John Newman, great artist, when he saw the piece that I published, he tweeted saying, Dean Roberts didn't discover me. He was a tour manager who ended up stealing from me. And this whole fantasy that the guy had created around Freetone I don't know whether it's that something went wrong and he thought he could get out of that hole or whether he set out to screw people over. But the consequences have been terrible. He didn't pay his staff. There are people who've had to take legal action to get the wages that they were owed. And I had an artist on the phone to me at the weekend in floods of tears because her music had vanished when three tones ultimate distributor finally pulled the plug on them her music vanished from spotify as it has for lots of other artists yeah and she was in floods of tears saying i don't know what to do and i told her what to do i'm actually going to publish a piece of content saying what people should try and do if they didn't manage to move their music Mm -hmm. from three tone because again the thing that bothers me is I've talked to a lot of people in the industry and they've all said, oh yeah, we want to help. And I'm saying, okay, well, what do people need to do? What are you doing to help? And they're not able to tell me the exact things. And so I'm just going to do that myself because I'm sick 
of sitting around <laughs> waiting for someone else to do something on this. What was interesting to me was that when you published the piece, I believe it was, remind me, October, November, the first piece? End, end of October, beginning okay. of November was when I first published So when you published the first piece, um, there really was, and then even maybe the second piece, but there was really nothing that happened from that or that could happen um, from the back end other than just the reputation side of things. But it doesn't seem like there is a, a police department for the music industry. Is that true? There's not. I mean, you know, maybe we should set that up because sure. honestly, sure. it's it's a disgrace. Um, as I said earlier, the fact that this is able to happen, yeah. It shouldn't be able to happen. A distributor should not be able to divert artist money to somewhere else. We don't know where the money has gone, right? You know, it's it's just gone. And there are still artists that have huge amounts of money. On the sort of back end of things, you're right, nothing happens fast. But actually, that's to do with lots of things. Because, again, I had a conversation with someone super, super senior, in the music business the other day. And I was basically not, not having a go at them, but I was gently saying, you know, maybe you could have done more faster on this. And they said to me, well, you know, when you first talked to me, you were the only person saying this. And actually, if we were to pull the plug on someone based on one person, even though the person I was talking to knows me, knows what CNU yeah. is, that would be as much of a problem. And I agree with that. Sure. And the one thing is that for a distributor to be able to operate, they need to sign a lot of contracts with other parties. And at one level, it is a good thing that those other parties just don't pull the plug on something as soon as I published my piece, the wheels began turning. Right. And it took a bit of time for that to come into effect. And actually, there were some things that happened in the background that meant some things didn't happen as quickly as they could have happened. And that was deliberately done to give people a chance to recover their music from three tone and get it out and get it to another distributor. Well, that's so interesting because I mean, this is a, you know, this is a big issue and and I am somewhat organized. I have a lot of things to keep track of, <coughs> but there were wave files that I couldn't recover. Um, the mastered files from some items. I imagine the girl you're sp speaking with, I imagine there's some of her, her metadata that she doesn't know where it is. And, and you know, I can only imagine how brutal that is. Because a lot of us upload music to these DSPs and kind of think, okay, there it is, enshrined in history. The internet is forever. If I had a nude up there, it, would, it, it wouldn't disappear this easy. You know, so it, it's... Um, I think that was really disappointing. The other thing, interesting, now that I think about it, is uh, one of the the surprising things, because I was had read your article, and of course I had been hearing from people in our community, and then seeing some of the dialogue online, my own experiences, I knew something was coming. I was taking screenshots of my metadata, knowing I would need those barcodes and everything. I realized whenever it hit the fan and I wanted to take down some of my music and port it back over to another distributor, I noticed that there wasn't a cancel button within the three-tone 
platform, there was, you could delete an item, but it wouldn't necessarily issue a takedown to all the DSPs. Whereas, um, and CD Baby's getting a lot of free airtime here, but on I know on CD Baby, you can cancel an album or a release. And I've done it before. And literally less than 48 hours, that item was removed from all DSPs or most of them. And, and I don't know if a human is involved in that. I don't know if they have to review it and click OK or if it's an automated system. But it's comforting to know that if I wanted CD Baby to stop collecting my money, I could press that cancel button and very soon that that album would be taken down and I could re-upload it somewhere. I To find out that it had to be done manually through 3Tone and there weren't employees answering emails and there maybe weren't even employees to do it in the first place, uh, that was terrifying is that not only, even if I had my files, that they could still make money off of my music. Yeah, and... This is the problem, right? As a music creator, how are you meant to know whether a distributor is legit or not? Mm -hmm. Because a distributor can give the impression that they've got all these bells and whistles and they can tell a story about how they helped Amy Winehouse's career and all the rest of it. And, you know, if someone tells you something, most people take that at face value sure. because they think, well, why would somebody be lying about this? Freetone wasn't really a distributor. Freetone was held together by a bunch of manual processes. Proper distribution means that you put your stuff in and it's pretty much automated from there. And that's what big distributors like BD Baby and Symphonic and TuneCore and all of these proper distributors do. There are people involved for sure, but those people are involved in helping resolve customer support issues and stuff like that. They are not moving files from A to B. They're not putting stuff that's been put in in a web form into an Excel spreadsheet and putting that into another uh, folder to get music into doors. So the problem is, as a music creator, how are you meant to know? Yeah. Because you don't know what's going on in the background. And I'm really pushing for all of the good distributors to rally around and say, let's just have a little bit of transparency. Let's have something where people can see on a distributor's homepage that they are legit, mm. that they aren't just a web form and a bunch of people running around with their hair on fire trying to pretend that it's a fancy distribution platform. Um, and... You know, whether or not I'm going to be able to make that happen, I don't know. But I think it's really important because more and more people are creating music and there are more and more distributors out there. And this is going to happen more and more unless we stop it now. Well, why is it that digital distribution is appealing to investors and to companies? Because there seems to be, and again, I don't know the difference between a legitimate distributor, as you've mentioned, that has a direct portal to Apple Music and Spotify versus uh, something that's white, white labeling uh, a distributor. So to me, why is it so appealing for so many people to be getting in this game? I'm hearing of companies who do other things who want to get involved in this distribution game, I guess because it's a, a monthly, this new monthly model, everybody loves a subscription? That is probably part of it for sure. But I think also it's that it gives you, 
there are some people who get into the music business because the music business they think is glamorous, right? In reality, the music business is a lot of Excel spreadsheets <laughs> and a lot of copying and pasting yeah. stuff from A to B. But I think there are some... Uh, I think there are some companies who are maybe not in music who get into it because it adds a, a bit of a gloss to an otherwise, you know, relatively boring technology business. Um, but I think there are certainly uh, some players in the market where they believe in kind of the dom democratization of content delivery. So there are people who set up distribution companies because they want to do it properly and better and cheaper and faster and things like that. And that's great. And then there are some people who maybe set up distribution companies aligned with another business because it gives them some great data and insights. Because obviously, if you're getting lots of music going through your distributor, right. you're able to see what all of those tracks are doing. Right. And so all of the major labels at one point or another have had their own DIY distribution platforms because it gives them insight into another part of the market. And then there is a consolidation of distribution because ultimately the way the streaming model works, the more market share you have, the better it's going to work for you. So the major labels were all about market share. The more percentage of all the streams going through Spotify you have, the more money you're getting. And so... There's lots of different reasons that we are seeing this sort of influx. And again, it is something where the barrier to entry is super, super low. I could set up a distributor tomorrow. This morning, as I was doing something, I actually thought about that. I was like, you know what, maybe I should just do that. <laughs> but I could. I could. I could. Yeah. Throw up a website tomorrow, I could put a form on that, I could have some basic back-end that I can buy off the shelf from someone else, and I could pretend to be a distributor. And I could go and sign some agreements, which seem to be pretty easy to get accepted sure. for, um, and I could present myself as a distributor. But that doesn't make me a distributor, because there's a lot more to distribution than just pretending to be a distributor, which is the problem with free term. So I think... There are probably lots and lots of companies out there who are playing at distribution, pretending to be a distributor, because they want those monthly subscriptions. So it sounds like, in conclusion, I mean, it sounds like this could happen, this might happen again with somebody else. Um, you know, we don't. Sorry, have I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. It's not that it could or might happen. It will happen. It is I happening. guarantee. Unless right. things change, it's happening right now. There yeah. are people being screwed over by distributors right now. So, I mean, obviously, I regret, you know, um, you know, it, it's it was it was a regretful, but I'm without a time machine. If I did have a time machine, I'd go back to Wembley in 1987, watch Genesis perform. But if if I don't have a time machine, how are we going to? How is an independent artist, an independent record label, meant to pick a digital distributor? One of the most common questions I get: How do I pick a digital distributor? So, is there any type of discernment tool that you can give us? I guess there is one really good source for this, which is Spotify have a page, which is a list of the distributors who have a direct agreement with Spotify. Interesting. Now, some of those are what I call intermediary distributors. They are distributors who provide distribution backend to other distributors. Okay. But go to that list because 
Every single one of those distributors has a direct agreement with Spotify. Mm. Now, that's not to say that distributors who don't are bad, right? Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, to have a direct agreement with Spotify means one of two things. You've been around for a long time and you've continued in business and you've not done anything bad, or you have the ability and clout to have set up and to have engaged with Spotify. You know, it's, it's not, I couldn't go knocking on Spotify's door and say, hey, I want to be a Spotify-approved distributor. No, Can we sure. sign a contract? Yeah. That wouldn't happen. So that's one good indicator. And, I mean, another one, it's a really sad thing to say, but the bigger ones who've been around for a long time, that's not by accident. Right. Mm, mm. And I could ask a hundred people who have used distributors for their opinions on their distributor and other distributors that they have used. And every single one of those big distributors that, you know, we've talked about many of them just now. I guarantee you that as many people would have good things to say as yeah. they would have bad things to say. Yeah. And that's not the fault of the distributors. It's because. There are so many complexities to releasing music that when something goes wrong, it really, really matters. Yeah. And when things go right, you don't even notice. That's true. And yeah. the key thing is those ones that are big and have been around for a long time, even though you always find people saying, oh, so-and-so is a terrible distributor, there's a reason they're big and they've been around a long time, yeah. right? You know, yeah. building a distribution business is not an easy thing yeah. and having scale and longevity means something that's a great point sam this has been fun i won't say fun <laughs> but it's been enlightening <laughs> it's been it's been very helpful though it's been a blast chatting with you thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing everything on all of these topics i hope we can do this again with new topics and thank you also for your work in asking some of these tough questions to some of these big bullies so we really do appreciate it I hope we can do new topics that are less depressing. Yes, right. Let's do that next month. If we do this again, <laughs> let's have really positive news. I but that's gonna, you know, let's see if there is positive news. <laughs> that sounds good. Thanks for listening, and to sign up for the weekly and the daily newsletters from Complete Music Update, just go to completemusicupdate.com. I suggest you get them; they're very helpful. But we're going to digest them and um, and give them to you as regularly as possible. So thanks to Sam for appearing on the show, and as always, thanks to Sam um, for the hard work he's been doing for the indie music community. Also, a big shout out again to our sponsor. Hellbender Vinyl, go to hellbendervinyl.com to try out your new release on vinyl. Thanks for listening.